Welcome to a Prevent Connect podcast, where we explore the prevention of violence against women. This is a project of the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Hi, this is Ashley Meyer with Prevent Connect. And this is Alexis Marbach from the Rhode Island Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So, Alexis, we talk a lot about intent behind programs and program planning and everything all within the context of prevention programming. And one of the things that's really important there is theory. And we wanted to have a conversation about that. I'm really glad that you brought this up and you asked to have this conversation because I think that theory gets a bad rap. Like, it looks really intimidated. It seems really overwhelming. Like, how am I supposed to do this on top of planning for my program plus implementing it. So I'm really glad that we're going to be able to spend the next few minutes demystifying the 101 around theory. Right. I agree. I think that it does scare a lot of people because for a lot of reasons, it seems, oh, it's complicated or sometimes they see it as something extra that's not really necessary and it's going to be hard to find one that's going to work with your program. But I've really found that when you sit down and just think about why are we doing what we're doing? What do we think is really going to lead to the change? And maybe you have some examples of theories and we'll, we can talk about some documents that have those in there. It really kind of demystifies it and it makes you see that it's easier and actually it's really helpful. So before we even get started talking about what's going on in Rhode Island, I think we need to break down like what is the theory of change because it still right. sounds pretty scary the way we're talking right. about. The theory of change is a way of linking your program and the behavioral change that you're hoping to see in your participants. So you're trying to explain or predict the behavior change by illustrating the relationship between all the different variables in your program. So it's essentially what it is. Like it's way less intimidating when you talk about it like that. And there are a number of theories typically used for the kind of violence against women work that we do. So you do not have to create a theory. In fact, I discourage people from creating theories because you'll get really confused and immersed in the brain science and not you'll start to lose some of your, your program planning pieces in this other science. So some of them are like the health belief model, stages of change, social cognitive theory, and these are all available in that theory at a glance document that Ashley is going to post on the website, too. So you can take a look and see what they look like. Right. I know, Alexis, that for both of us, it's one of our favorites. Exactly. So there's some that, like, you gravitate to, and there's some that every time you read, you're like, oh, man, this one never (laughs) makes sense to me. So if you find one, like, it's okay. You don't have to use it. There's no one right theory for any given program. But it's a visual depiction, so you're looking at a bunch of boxes connected with arrows, a lot like a logic model in a lot of ways. But what you're talking about more is the behavior that you're trying to change. So in Rhode Island, we're working to build prevention system capacity. We're working to get more men involved in the work to end domestic violence, and we're working to build social capital. And for each of those programs, we use theory of planned behavior. Um, So, Ashley, have you used the theory of planned behavior before? Has that come up in your work? I have used that theory. I've used it more in the context of combining it with other theories to inform the work that's going on and working with other organizations that are using, for example, feminist theory and theory of planned behavior and diffusion of innovations as well. Another point is that we can use multiple theories. 
there's no one right theory that's going to fit for everybody. So when you take a look at these graphs or these charts, you can say, hmm, this one seems to resonate with a program that I'm running, or it doesn't really resonate at all. And then you can start to weed through which things line up with what you're doing. And you don't have to have the answers to every single piece of your theory grid, but you want to have enough filled in that you can ask questions. For example, if you're working with a theory of planned behavior, let's say, the end result is behavior change. So that could be bystander intervention. It can be a number of things. Maybe that's the change you want to see. Maybe you know a few things along the way, but you don't know what the norms are around bystander belief. Like, that's great, actually, to not know because you can go back to your community. You can ask questions. You can go to the literature and do some research. You can ask other prevention practitioners who Prevent Connect what they know about the norms. But you want to have more of the boxes to fill in than not. Well, Alexis, tell me more about this term that you're using, theory grids. Yeah, so theory grid is actually a term that I've just started using. I was introduced to it by a colleague in Newport. And theory grid is actually mapped out at the end of the PowerPoint that's on this page. And the theory grid is just three columns. And the columns are theoretical concepts, program objective, and program activity. So the way it works is let's say we're talking about the health belief model. And we're talking about trying to do a program with young men to get them to have healthier relationships. One of the theoretical concepts in the health belief model is perceived benefit. So our program objective that would match with that is that boys understand that having healthy relationships gets you more respect in relationships and better relationships. So that's we want boys to feel like if I do this thing that this program person is telling me to do, my relationships are going to get better. And then our program activity is we're going to do a panel with girls about having good boyfriends. We're going to get guys to come to this panel, and they're going to hear girls talk about what it means to be in healthy relationships, and that's going to reinforce our program objective. So the theory grid you can use to kind of map out the connection between the concept, the objective, and the activity. So for the theory of planned behavior, theory of planned behavior has a few main constructs. We talk about attitudes, behavioral intentions, subjective norms, social norms, perceived power, and perceived behavioral control. I'll talk about the work that we're doing with men in the state of Rhode Island to kind of walk through our theory of change. That's an interesting example. It's really cool at the state level to be looking at what's happening with one population because, like, in Rhode Island, Rhode Island's pretty small. It's like you can't do that same kind of work in California with the same kind of budget. But what we're looking at is trying to get more Rhode Island men to speak out and act nonviolently. We're trying to get them to confront hypermasculinity. We're asking them to become active bystanders. But if we just roll out a program that directly asks them to do that, it's not going to work, right? Like they're not going to feel motivated. They're not going to feel compelled to join. They're not going to know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we have to do is address their behavioral beliefs, so we're working left to right across the theory. So we believe that men will believe that by speaking out against intimate partner violence and acting nonviolently, they will be able to reduce violence. We want to talk about their normative beliefs, so men believe that other men want them to intervene and be nonviolent. We want to talk about their control beliefs, so men believe that they are capable of influencing other men and acting nonviolently. 
So that's our that's our first goal. That's like that could be our year one is working mm-hmm. on the furthest left side of the theory grid. Once we pick activities that help to build those behavioral beliefs, normative beliefs, and control beliefs, we can move to the next step and changing their attitude towards the behavior. So the next activities we want to do will help to get men to have a positive attitude towards speaking out and acting nonviolently. We want to change the subjective norms so men believe that their peers approve and support them when they speak out nonviolently. And then we want to change their perceived behavioral control so they believe that they can have control and they can exercise these skills that we're giving them. The next step, so now we're talking like maybe year two and a half, year three, is dealing with their behavioral intention. So they've got this positive attitude, they have great subjective norms, they have perceived behavioral control, and then we want them to believe that they're likely to speak out. They have intention to perform the behavior that we're going for. And then our ultimate goal is to get them to change their behavior. So Rhode Island men will speak out and act nonviolently. As you're going through this theory change, you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Like, that's a logical thought process, right? But the point is to, to match up activities with these pieces of your theory so that as you're going through, you're helping people to evolve their thought process in a really natural and organic way. You're not forcing them to take an extra step or to skip a step. And if you skip a step, you know that you haven't built a solid foundation for the next step and it may not work well. Yeah, and I like the way you talk about it because it's concrete, it's doable, like you said, you know, oh, well, that might be in year three. If You you can really think about it in a really applied way, and I like that. Well, you want to think about it like an if-then relationship. Like, if we're able to do the beginning part of the theory, then we'll be able to do the second part. If we're able to do that second part, then we can do the third part and build upon a given skill set or a given idea and give people ample time to make some level of change. I think that the real thing that we've done that hasn't worked in the violence against women movement in terms of prevention is, like, if people know that violence against women is a problem, then they will change their behaviors. Like, it makes right. sense on some level, but it's really simple, and it doesn't account for a lot of the change that has to occur internally and the amount of change that has to occur in a community for people to feel supported in making a big change to act nonviolently or to promote healthy relationships. So these theories help us to get to that point where we're, we're working along a natural occurring thought process. Right, and I think they also help to identify the fact that and acknowledge the fact that it takes time to make this change as well. Right. So the other part of it, like we just kind of really like breeze through that, right? But there's a PowerPoint that's linked into this webpage. There's the theories and logic models that we're using in Rhode Island. You're obviously always more than welcome to contact me and ask questions about those theory at a glance is always available. Lots of different resources that Ashley is going to post, but you want to make sure that you have an idea of what your program is and then try and find a theory to match it. Don't pick a theory and then try and jam your program into it because you're going to lose the intent of your program. Like, yeah, some things will change, but you want to make sure that the theory that you match it with is most closely connected and that you should be able to be really conversant in your program at the same time as you're being conversant in the theory. 
Right. And I think that that's a good activity to do if maybe you haven't thought about the theory behind what you're doing is, you know, take something, a document could be this theory at a glance document that we will link to. Could be another one. I know some other entities and state coalitions, et cetera, have other documents, but you take a list of theories and look at what you're doing or what you intend to do and look at the theories and see which ones most closely match that. Yeah, and there'll be some key words that you'll pick up on, like in the health belief model, those concepts, those main tenants that always exist in any any theory grid for that theory are susceptibility, perceived severity, perceived benefits, perceived barriers, cues to action, and self-efficacy. And I really like this one because I think that a lot of the programs, at least that I've worked with, they really they tackle, like, do people feel like they're susceptible to being perpetrators? Or do they feel like they're susceptible to witnessing a violent act take place? Do they believe that there is some level of severity associated with the issue? Do they believe that there are benefits to changing their behavior and acting in a, maybe it's like a pro-social bystander? Do they think that's a good thing? Are there barriers? Like if you talk about bystander work, there are tons of barriers, right? Like are people going to make fun of me? Mm -hmm. Am I going to know what Say, is this person going to lash out at me? So you got to tackle all of the barriers to intervening. Cues to action, are we going to reinforce this message? Are they going to know when it's the right time to be bystander? Self-efficacy, are they going to feel skilled and confident moving forward and being able to be a bystander? So if one of those words speaks to you, you're like, oh, yeah, these barriers. I'm talking about that a lot in my program. Like maybe this is the model for you. So you have to read a few, look for some keywords. And try out a few theories. You may get halfway through filling out a theory grid and then say, this isn't the right theory. And that's okay. Move on to the next one and keep trying until you find one that, that sticks with you. Right. Right. Well, Alexis, I think this is a really important conversation to keep having, especially as, you know, frankly, requirements for funding. Well, actually, I think that, like, it's a great thing that you're bringing up about the funding. He's like, we shouldn't be driven by funding, right? But sometimes mm-hmm. we kind of are. But we're in an era of accountability. People want to know, like, if you're taking my $5,000 to do a strength program, what are you doing? Where are you doing it? Who are you doing it? And what's the outcome? So by doing a theory grid, you can outline what things you're looking to measure. So in the serious planned behavior for the men's work we're doing in Rhode Island, I want to know as an evaluator if we have changed their control beliefs, changed their normative beliefs, and changed their behavioral beliefs. And I have specific statements that I'm looking to measure. I've already done all the outlining by doing the theory grid. So it really is helpful for figuring out if you have accomplished your objectives. Doing the planning up front, you can reflect back on it and then say, "Mm, we missed this piece, this changed, but this didn't change, and that's a great place to, to be, to be able to reflect back. Great. Well, Alexis, are there any other resources that you found particularly helpful or that you like to share with people? I know I recently have discovered there's a theoryofchange.org, a whole organization dedicated to theories of change. Yeah, that must be a pretty nerdy place to work, but I think it's really great resources. I like the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. They have yes. some great information. I like the Prevention Institute. They may not have specific theories listed, but they do talk about how you incorporate theory into your work. I will also give you a link 
to the Boston University School of Public Health. They have a few theories mapped out and some examples and the limitations of the theory. So, like, one of the limitations of the theory of planned behavior is that the time frame between the intent and the behavioral action is not addressed. So you have to fill that part in. So it'll talk about the gaps that each theory has. And I also, I love using Prevent Connect, emailing out to the listserv, like, I'm trying to use this theory, I'm struggling with it, has anybody else used it? And you always get great feedback. Great. Well, thanks so much, Alexis. This is a good conversation, and there's so much more to talk about, but we will end it here and look to future conversations. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for listening to this Prevent Connect podcast. Prevent Connect is a project of the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault with funding from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The views presented on Prevent Connect are not necessarily the views of the United States government, the CDC, or CalCASA. To learn more about Prevent Connect, visit www.preventconnect.org. For more information about CalCASA's mission or to show your support, visit calcasa.org. That's C-A-L-C-A-S-A dot O-R-G.